0: Hello and welcome to the Diverse VC Business Podcast, where social is the new capital. I'm your host, Alec Taylor, the founder of Diverse VC. If you want to learn more about our podcasts, newsletter, blog, networking, diversity consulting, venture capital, or exciting people and businesses, check us out at diversevc.com. Today, we have Kate Ward, the CEO and co-founder of The Dip, and former Founding Editor-in-Chief of Bustle Digital Group. Kate is an award-winning digital expert who has both built and transformed several companies with a data-driven approach to content. Kate boosts brands' audiences and engagement through her expertise in SEO, social media, audience development, revenue-generating content and partnerships, and so much more. She grew a 20 million-plus following across BDG brands as well. Kate has been named a member of Forbes 30 under 30, at ages 40 under 40, and was selected for Business Insider's Silicon Alley 100 list, along with Business Insider's list of the most influential women in New York City tech. Kate, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here, Alec. Exciting, exciting. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on the show. Of course. With that said, let's hop right into it. Kate, you know, you've been an entrepreneur and leader for years. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today?
1: Yeah, so uh, I initially started my career as a journalist, graduated from the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern, so initially my goal was to actually write uh, celebrity profiles at Vanity Fair. That was my end goal. (laughs) I was gonna get there eventually. So I started my career at Entertainment Weekly where I was with the magazine for a few years, and then I quickly noticed that, you know, uh, the industry was changing and I had to be a change agent in order to actually change along with it. So I took an opportunity to go to the .com and so I worked there for a few years as well and that's where I got a lot of my early digital media training. I had a brief hop over to uh, Hollywood.com which you know was a, a relaunching opportunity to take something that was a site from 1990 that was primarily made to sell tickets and turn it into a, a content site. And you know, I learned a lot there about kind of, you know, what not to do. It really wasn't the most successful venture at all for, for us, but it was a great experience to launch relaunch something before I launched something. So about 11 months in when I was there, my most recent CEO, Brian Goldberg, who had just sold Bleacher Report, came to me and said that he wanted to start a site for women and didn't know what that would entail, didn't know, you know, what he would necessarily want to do with it, but he wanted to bring me over and kind of partner with him to, to create this big thing. So I took the plunge. I think back then I was, you know, very excited by the prospect of startups, probably because I had just seen the social network. And, you know, to me it was this exciting dramatic thing that of course I want to be a part of this." And so then I, I you know, jumped in and worked alongside him and over the course of six years grew bustle into what it is today. So I was overseeing uh, six brands uh, by the time I left and had uh, launched three of them and relaunched three other ones. And they were all you know, very successful and it was a great experience. But you know, I think by the end, you know, we started getting really into this mergers and acquisitions game. And it was fascinating to learn about that world. But what I really missed was building things. The 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 launching process for me was so much more satisfying than the relaunching process. And so, you know, I decided that it was time for me to, um, you know, to head out. And uh, so myself and actually my, my co-founder, we kind of both decided the same thing. She was there at Bustle with me uh, from day one. And so we took about six months off and you know uh, got into a Zen place. And then come January, came together to work on the dip and got funding. And now we're pre-launch and we're super excited. And it's really great to kind of take the two worlds that I was a part of, which was, you know, digital media and also entertainment and kind of fuse them together into one thing that really now is, you know, my, my passion project with the dip.
0: Absolutely. And that's an amazing piece to just hear that background, hear that, that little piece. I just want to highlight and echo that one piece of understanding what you like to do. Was it launching businesses or was it a uh, different products or relaunching them, right? And that, that is a huge call out for any entrepreneur, any founder, or, or just really any person, just understanding yourself, that says a lot and speaks to your character. And you mentioned the dip, fantastic Here is your passion project. It sounds like it's the right thing as well to do, right? Could you tell us a little bit more about it and, and how it really came about?
1: Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned, I've always been a fan of entertainment from, I was raised on it as a kid, you know, MGM musicals, everything, you know, snuck in like MTV when I could, um, when I was allowed, not, not, you know, often, but, but it really, you know, I, I I just, I I know the space so well. And what I was seeing happening in, in media also, this over-reliance on advertising was making it so that it was the most important thing to be big, be giant. You had to be the biggest, most read. You had to appeal to everybody. You had to be super generalized. And so, you know, it kind of became more about being, you know, giving more and being faster, but it didn't, it was not about being better. And so what we started to kind of see was that while everything became more general, everything became thin and content itself was not that satisfying. If you were part of a niche audience or if you had, very specific interests that you really want to dive deep on. If you wanted a quick story about something that just happened, great, you could get that. But if I wanted to, if I was watching something and I was obsessed with it, I couldn't really find a good place to really dig in. Social media itself has some options, but you know, is very noisy. Facebook is Facebook and you know, Reddit is a place that only certain people feel very comfortable. So we wanted to create something that was, able to provide a really in-depth niche experience for these entertainment fans. And that's where the dip came out of. So, you know, we see right now in entertainment, all these fan communities being um, established because of, you know, the proliferation of streaming. So you have people that are huge fans of Stranger Things and people who are huge fans of, you know, uh, 90 Day Fiance or whatever. And, And these people don't necessarily sit in the same zone. So a lifestyle publication is not gonna be able to give to them what they really need. So the dip is gonna be uh, providing high quality, original content concentrated in these areas. So we'll launch with about three franchises and uh, specifically in TV, and then we'll just work to grow it more and more and more, expand to movies, to music down the line, but TV is sort of our sweet spot
0: to start with that's fantastic and I completely agree there's so many so much broad content that people can engage with today I want to focus on the stuff that I love the most and that is something that I think that the dip is doing fantastic so far so you started this business and you know you're you're being this entrepreneur can you tell us what your your day-to-day looks like and you know what the role entails and and honestly what you're focusing on now
1: Yeah, so a lot of the stuff that happens at this stage is very administrative. And so, you know, there are certain things that you have to do when you start a company like getting insurance, setting up benefits, setting up payroll, you know, all these, the taxes, the accounting. So that's kind of the unsexy work that you do. And then a lot of the day is also kind of spent you know getting ready for things which is not a very comfortable zone to live in often you know i I sort of remember fondly more of like the post-launch days at bustle where you know you did a lot of prep work in that first that week leading up to launch was very 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 busy and then it was very busy from there on out but like the month before launch is a little bit like it's a little sleepier it's a little bit um you know you're not really working with any sort of actualities yet your data that you're working with is sort of It's not completely complete. Right. So you can't actually make any like big decisions and anything. So I think that, you know, as an entrepreneur, that's a very frustrating place to be in at this stage, but you kind of try to tell yourself to enjoy some of the breaths that you are taking now, because you'll look back and say, I wish I had some of those breaths that I could take. But yeah, I mean, my, but you know, my developers are working very, very hard right now getting the launch product ready. So their days are packed. So it's just kind of like overseeing how that process is going, doing some testing, doing a lot of experimentation, pre-launch and getting ourselves teed up so that we're as successful as we can be on that day one and and nothing is really gonna go wrong.
0: Absolutely and I think you, you you say some things that a lot of people don't realize about business like you have to do insurance you have to figure out benefits, you have to figure out, you know, different investors and how you're going to to honestly understand and break down all the different financials. So even prepping for product launches, how much energy it takes is absolutely monumental. So I completely understand that. It's it's a ton of time. You you actually mentioned something really interesting. And you know, it, it's I guess what what I'd say is it's more about working with these different teams and understanding how they all kind of come together in the, the end goal of, of launching your product. You know, for you, what was the most important pieces to, to bringing all of the different components together to launch your product? Or, or as you're you're coming, getting closer to launching, you know, what pieces have you found to be the most important?
1: So I don't know that that's that easy to answer that question until I have 2020 hindsight. So, you know, I have some <laughs> things right now that I think are very valuable and, and things that are going really well. I mean, the testing and experimentation and, and, you know, exploring areas we maybe didn't think to explore and seeing things pop there, you know that's all very valuable. But I could also look back in a year and say, oh, well, thank God we did this one thing. Thank God we changed the color on that button. You know, like, who knows what it can be? So so at this phase, there is a, just a lot of like, let's try it, let's see. And I think the, the best thing about that is that I think in the future you end up saying, oh, wow, that one thing that we did on a total whim actually really paid off for us and wasn't that cool. And that's how we kind of discovered a lot of the things that were, you know that that really took bustle to the next level when we were there you know little things that we experimented with became entire giant strategies down the line that got us huge revenue or a huge audience and so you know that's the kind of thing that i think you know ask me in a year i'll probably have an answer for you right now i don't really have one <laughs>
0: Gotcha, well, I'll have, to, I'll have to hold you to that. And I completely agree. I feel like all the people think that when you're an entrepreneur, you're creating a business, you're hyper-focused on all the things that you're doing. That's not the case. You're testing, you're experimenting, you're going through different iterations of different products, different services, uh, You know, testing out different things, such as even logos at the end of the day, or what tools you should use. And I, I completely agree with you. you. You never know, but sometimes it can turn out great. So I'd love to move on now. And you know, being a subscription-based platform, you know, how did you come up with this payment model and what are some of the challenges, if you have any, that you faced monetizing this business?
1: So I mean, we're we're pre-monetization at this point, so so we haven't monetized and, and that's because we're pre-launch. So, um, so challenges can't tell you yet. I mean, I hope we have no challenges. I hope it just works perfectly. But, but I think the reason we went with subscription is, you know, we saw an opportunity to really serve an audience. We're a very consumer forward product. And so, you know, we're not trying to, the way, the way that sort of media is operating now is kind of backwards. You're serving an audience, but then you're also mostly serving your clients. And so you might be saying that you're writing for a certain audience, but you might be writing for a big CPG company. And that is sort of a confusing way to be building a product. So, you know, in this way that we're building it as a subscription model, the people that are paying us are themselves deciding whether they're getting value out of it, and so that encourages us to make a better product that encourages something to come out you know that's that's more focused and and that ultimately is just has better ux and and all these things so So that is a very liberating feeling because it actually feels more satisfying than anything else. You know also, I think we go subscription because we we see what's happening in media, we see the advertising dollars that are going away. And you know, I think in the future, it's, uh, the future of media is not going to be subscription only, it's not going to be advertising only, but it's going to be a hybrid. But as I mentioned, to create a great product with really engaged people, you have to kind of start with subscription. And also we had some people ahead of us that were starting to get into this game and doing it really well. So you know, we often describe our product as the athletic for entertainment and so you know they obviously have done a really really good job monetizing through subscriptions and kind of doing the exact same thing reaching underserved niche markets and and getting them you know getting an audience around that so so yeah so i think that you know like being able to kind of see it see people starting to be willing to pay for these things understanding that they're not getting a satisfying experience by things that are free you know that allows us to slip in and become this like new generation of of media which starts subscription first
0: I completely agree. That syndication, that hybrid of how we're, we're monetizing things, is is a, a huge play moving forward. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about how you're going to be cultivating awareness and interest among your potential members, especially being in these early stages of the dip. You know, what is your what is your marketing strategy look like? How are you going about creating this buzz?
1: Yeah. So, you know, myself, and my co-founder, Lindsay Mannering, when we were at Bustle, everything, every the audience that we grew was a hundred percent organic. You know, we would do paid marketing from time to time on things that were already doing really well and kind of boost them out there a little bit more. But for the most part, everything was, you know, very, very organic. So that's sort of our specialty is we know how to build things organically. So that's kind of going to the audiences where they are, you know, communicating with fans directly, you know, going to the Facebook groups and going and, and talking to, you know the talent and people that that you know kind of want this too you know they notice that there's a dearth of this out there and they want to be a part of this as well so, so, you know, I think, you know, it's a lot of experimentation, as I said, as well, but, you know, we're very focused on doing things very, very organically and getting in front of people in a very organic way. And that's already paid off for us. We've already seen, you know, some of our test articles, you know, do extraordinarily well and bring in, you know, tens and thousands of visits apiece, you know, just kind of by by using some of these tactics. So, so yeah, I mean, we'll continue iterating and, and trying new things out, but for now, it's really just kind of tapping those, those fan networks and, and being where they
0: are. And just moving kind of to like a more macro level because i feel like a lot of founders are in that same space hey how do i scale my audience how do i get in front of more people with your your past you know and your experience outside of what you just mentioned right going directly to the audience what other ways have you seen success for different companies building their audience you know is it does it come to affiliate marketing does it come through running different paid ads seo specifically you know what what else have you found to be you know your your top two top three effective growth capabilities.
1: Yeah. So in the Are same sure. way that I say that, you know, diverse revenue is important and that's, you know, what we didn't quite do necessarily as well at, at, at Bustle, but, you know, diverse diverse audience is important too. So it's, it's not just going to one platform and hoping that that all works. We saw in media how poorly that did for so many people who were just Facebook publishers that all of a sudden in 2018, when Facebook decided to kind of you know, rein things in a little bit, suddenly you had all these these publishers that were really, really, really struggling. So at Basel, we didn't have that problem because we had a diverse network of uh, acquisition areas. So, you know, I think, you know, search is obviously a big one, especially for publishing. You know, Facebook is big. Being good on Instagram is important. You know, Twitter, I've, I've never really been able to really optimize there as well but it's just sort of making sure you're looking out for the next thing and trying to figure out how can i leverage this for for our audience is this right for our audience and so while you want to be diverse you also want to make sure you focus and say here here's going to be the top two or three places where we're going to be able to make impact and you know this new shiny thing that comes on board we'll take a look at it we'll dip our toes in but i'm not going to completely spread my my staff thin to make sure that we're covering that so, you know, certain things like we noticed that like Snapchat probably wasn't going to be something of a big traffic driver for us. So we weren't going to go crazy trying to make it one. And so we just kind of doubled down in the areas that we're good at. But, you know, having having a diverse targets and, and being able to spread that around is is really mm-hmm. important for for any business.
0: Absolutely. And just for, for the listeners here, I, I want to echo a piece that you said understanding the channels that don't work for you is just as important as understanding the channels that do work for you because if you're spending all of your energy in in a no-go or non-starter where could that time have been and where could you see yourself today amazing points there kate kate um with that said you know let's pivot a little bit and and let's talk about what the process was like getting funding and working with a VC company like Defy Partners. You know, what was that experience like? What did you do right? And what what did you do wrong, you know, when you're raising this capital?
1: So it was very, very fast. So we actually started actively looking for funding in late February, and we had signed our lead investor by mid-March. So it was just a very, very fast turnaround for us. And, you know, we did have the benefit of having ties to some of our investors. So our lead, Neil Defy, um, Neil uh, was an investor at Bustle, so he was on the board there. Tribe, uh, Tribe is uh, led by Ted Maidenberg. He was also on our on our board at Bustle. And we and I knew uh, Imagination Rachel a little bit as well. Slow Ventures. We had met them while we were doing this uh, fundraising, so they were actually the one the one fund that we we did not meet prior to to doing this. So, you know, it was it was just a very fast process. It felt easier than I expected it to be, which is kind of obnoxious to say, but <laughs> you know, it was a lot of phone calls and a lot of them, you know, went really well, and and we just sort of you know eventually made it work and made it happen. So, but yeah, I mean, I think that what I what I learned from it. I think it's different than what most people probably learn from the process just because we were doing it during the pandemic and the very early stages of the pandemic, which is very, very unique. But we kind of saw it as this really interesting benefit in a strange way, because while we weren't able to make the trip out to SF and weren't able to meet people face to face, it kind of created this equalizing element. And so you get on the phone with people you see them in their homes, you see them with their kids running around in the back, with their dog running around in back. And, you know, suddenly you're sort of both on the same level in a weird way. And you're able to talk about things a little more intimately. You form an instant connection because it's this kind of like, we're going through this weird thing together and it's very bizarre. And that sort of helps create a relationship versus walking into a stuffy office, sitting down at a big conference table and, you know, trying to prove your worth in some way. So so the experience I think is just very different. And so I, I don't know that I have much to impart on certain people because <laughs> I don't think it'll, I think the next time I'm raising, it won't be that way. And I don't think it'll be that way for anyone ever again. So, so yeah, so it was just a very, it was fast, but it was fascinating too at the same time.
0: Very interesting. And I think you touched on something that's completely relevant today, right? getting fundraising in a pandemic is, is something that no one has ever been through before, especially in today's day and age. You know, as a, as a company, how are you guys adapting to COVID?
1: So we have the benefit of being a media company, a digital media company, where we're covering entertainment and streaming and things like this. And so the common denominator there is that everything is sort of, you know, in the sky, you know, there's nothing, there's no physical product, there's no factories, there's no, you know, there's nothing that we have to really worry about in that capacity. And people are only watching more TV and getting more invested in these things. So it kind of ended up being almost, a very uh, an advantageous time for us to be starting this business because it felt like that need was even more pervasive than it was before. So in terms of the actual company itself, what we're doing like everything's good there. The other f- benefit is that we don't have to look for office space. So that's a huge line item that we get to save, which is awesome. You know, I think the, the certain downsides are some of the fun parts of this, which is like being able to when you when I re, we raised the round I couldn't go and get a drink with my co-founder you know I couldn't we couldn't toast each other we couldn't do this thing that was like you're in the room where you're kind of like jumping around excited because it's finally happening instead you're just sort of right like sending a G chat that's like great we closed <laughs> that's it <laughs> and it doesn't have that same impact and you might try to send the confetti you know and like you know virtually and that's kind of fun but but it's just not the same feeling. And and then other things like whiteboarding, like that's not having something that you can kind of all write together and iterate on and everything is really frustrating. So instead, I'm just kind of taking like a sharpie to paper and writing some and drawing something and then sending it through Slack. And so like those kind of things are less than ideal. But for the most part, we've been operating pretty efficiently and pretty
0: easily as a as a remote company. Very interesting. Yeah, I completely agree. Not being able to, to have those. In-person experiences makes it tremendously challenging, especially when you're so young in a, a, as an organization and trying to build that culture. But with that said, you know I want to talk about you know being a founder and how many of them have a pivotal moment in their life when they decide to become an entrepreneur or when they decide to start their business. You know, did you have that defining moment? Was there a specific specific experience for you?
1: I wouldn't say that there's a specific, I mean, I think for this certain product, there was a, there was probably a, you know, a light bulb moment, not very interesting, just sitting and reading stuff and being like, oh, well this, this could be done for entertainment. Let's do this. But, which is, that's not exciting at all. You know, I think, like I said, like, I think my first interest in startups probably was from watching the social network and and being all wrapped up in that. And like, sometimes to jazz myself up, I I would, I would watch the trailer and, you know, I don't know, it just like gives you that, the trailer is so good. And it just gives you that feeling of like growth and excitement and everything. But I think ultimately, you know, just deciding to do my own thing you know, I, I, I wouldn't be able to do it without my co-founder, without without Lindsay, and, you know, we really just complete each other in a, in a very beautiful way. And so even just like sitting in her office at Bustle and us just kind of being like, we can do, like, we can start a company, we can do this, we have all the tools. And just talking about that, I, I don't think there, there probably was a moment in which we said that to each other, but I feel like we said that to each other all the time eventually. But the first time we did it was probably the moment. But no, you know, I don't think that there was ever any sort of specific thing besides just us being able to look at each other and say, "We've got this." Between the two of us, we've got this. But I also, like I said, I wouldn't be able to do it without her. So you know, she's kind of my other puzzle piece that's just
0: really essential to the to the whole. Absolutely. No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, having that person that, that fills those holes that you need filled and you guys being able to work together to, to get to the next stage is, is really important because being a, a one one woman army, one man army is, is tough sometimes. So that's that's definitely amazing to hear. So we talked a little bit about the past. You know, we talked, talked about some of the present. I want to pivot right now and talk about the, the entertainment space and where it's moving. Where do you see the future of this industry and where are you seeing the innovation?
1: So for entertainment itself, well, entertainment and media are two separate things, right? So I think in the entertainment, we have a lot of, in entertainment itself, we have a lot of interesting things happening with all of the streaming wars and all of that. And so, you know, eventually I think we're gonna come to a bundling phase down the road. And I think the same thing will happen with media too, but I think with, uh, with entertainment, it's all gonna come together eventually. But there's gonna be some winners, there's gonna be some losers, but you'll have some people that are just generally there. But with entertainment, with media um, itself, you know, I think, like I said, we're, we're going to a phase in which subscriptions do become a lot more important, but then inter- but advertising is used to supplement that as well. So it becomes more about what is the type of audience that you're able to cultivate and how engaged is that audience and how much do they love your product. And then on top of that, you layer, you know, advertising, because if you have a product that people love, advertisers will want to be there. And so then you have this really great monetization that is happening on multiple levels. And then you can tack on events onto that, because if you have a really engaged audience, you know what they want to do. they want hang out with you and so and then you can start doing affiliate products because if you have an engaged audience what can you do you can start to sell them some things that are related to your brand so so it's a multi-pronged thing but it kind of just starts with this this focus on audience and the people which really has not been the focus in media for way too long of a time. It's been way too focused on just advertisers. So so I think that's what we're seeing down the line with, with media itself.
0: Absolutely, I love that. That's, that's so great, especially focusing on the people. I love that so much. So now I wanna talk about how we're not these, just these machines that people think as, as entrepreneurs and founders, right? We get outside, we, we have friends, we have family, we eat all these great things. What do you do outside of the office? Do you have any hobbies or extracurriculars, any projects you have going on to get your mind off of work and rejuvenate yourself and refresh yourself?
1: Well, I would say watching a lot of TV, but I guess that's now my job. So, <laughs> so it's, it's not quite a total disconnect. But, um, you know, but I do, I do still love like, you know, entertainment and just being able to, you know, watch a great movie, watch a great show and and binge something, you know, also like I'm a, I love food. I love drink. I love, you know, being able to indulge in that as well. So, you know, I'd say that like between like food and food and TV, I'm doing all the things you're not supposed to do, but I enjoy it nonetheless. Also, I do run every morning. That is something that I do try to do to energize my mind. And I find it at this point, if I'm not able to go for a run or Five arrest day that actually is a very difficult day for me because those endorphins aren't moving quite as much as they should. And as a founder, you need a lot of endorphins every day to really oh, yeah. get you through. So, so that's become very, very important to me as well. So, uh, thankfully, I have my own treadmill, which is a very big bonus and very a big privilege that in this day and age, for sure.
0: Definitely, I think you hit all the most important pieces, right? Especially, especially that food piece. I absolutely love that. That's fantastic. Kate this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for for coming on the podcast and covering this uh, this intro piece. Now we're going to move over to the famous fire round. Where we're going to rapid fire a couple of different questions at you. Are you ready?
1: Uh yes, I am I am ready. Oh gosh, it has to be rapid. Okay, I've got to be uh terse. Okay, cool. Couple cool. of sentences,
0: brief and brilliant. <laughs> fantastic. Right. What is your favorite book of all time? Uh Lord of the Rings. Ooh, exciting. What business book has helped you develop the most?
1: I've never liked business books, but Endurance about Ernest Shackleton is the best book about leadership I've ever read.
0: Ooh, gonna add that to the list. Who is someone you look up to in the professional world and why?
1: My co-founder, Lindsay, she is <laughs> manages to be both brilliant and super chill, which is what I need as my co-founder is a lot of chill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. It's fantastic. Now, what about someone that you look up to outside of business and outside of Lindsay?
1: Okay. So probably a serious answer, you know, of course, you know, my, my parents, my, you know, best friend, my husband, all the people in my life, but also, you know, Guy Fieri. I love Guy Fieri. <laughs> <laughs> he figured it out he figured it all out. <laughs>
0: That is, that is fantastic. What is your most important philosophy, quote, or mantra that you live by?
1: So again, my co-founder, Lindsay, you know, one time told me uh, when I was really nervous about something very silly in retrospect, but at that time seemed very nerve wracking. She said, we're all going to die one day. And that just made me feel so much better because it is an acceptance of in In the whole of everything, this is a very small problem. And so don't sweat it, and I try to repeat that to myself whenever I have an issue with something. And oddly, it's very maudlin, but it works. I love it so much.
0: Uh, the next question is, what is something that you've been obsessing over lately?
1: What have I been obsessing over lately? It's usually whatever show I'm watching. and you know, so right now, I have gotten really into shameless. So I'm reading up as much shameless as I can. And then also, I mean, I obsessed on true crime way too much. So I'm on the unresolved mysteries subreddit every every night before I go to bed. It's great bedtime reading lure myself to sleep with a murder case or two.
0: I love it. That's fantastic. Now, I'd love to open the floor. Is there anything that you want to tell the listeners today?
1: I'd say, you know, be responsible in this day and age. You know, wear a mask. Think about more than just yourself in this era. But overall, I mean, I think, you know, just I I guess I guess what I what I would love listeners to know, uh, especially people who are up listening because I assume there's people who also want to found companies and everything, that you know, take the plunge. If you're considering it, just take the plunge and it'll either work or it won't. And the worst case scenario is that you learn a lot and you walk away with an education that you never realized that you could have. So I think a lot of us tend to sell ourselves very short or think this one reason is the reason I can't do it. And think about all the people all the the mediocre people in the past who have decided to jump in and did it and managed to get funding, managed to get to where they are today and know that you are just as good, if not better than all those people.
0: And so um, just take the plunge, it's worth it. Oh my goodness, I love that so much. Plus one, subscribed, liked, shared to that comment. That is absolutely fantastic. Last one, for people who wanna connect and learn more, where can they find you?
1: So if they want to learn more about The Dip, you know, go to thedip.com. You can enter your email. We've got a weekly newsletter right now that we're putting out and we'll keep you updated on when we're ready to launch. You know, myself, I am a lurker on social media, so I don't post that much, but I'm there. I'm on Twitter at Kate Ward Bustle. I can't change it and then I'll lose my blue check mark if I do. So it still has Kate Ward Bustle on it. Um, And then my Instagram is it's Kate Ward. And yeah, and that's, that's where I am, but Don't expect me to post too much.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. Kate, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. I love how passionate you are about the dip and really wish you the best with everything moving forward and hope to have you back on the show in the future.
1: Well, thank you so much, Alec. I really appreciate
0: it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, listeners, that's all for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you got one piece of advice, an idea, or learned how to do something, I count that as a success. Please take 10 seconds to share and review this podcast to get us in front of more listeners. If you want to learn more, check out our website at DiverseVC.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, view our blog, join our network of talented individuals and get connected with VCs. I'm your host, Alec Taylor, and hope to have you back for our next Diverse VC podcast, where social is the new capital.